Again, a good morning to everyone and appreciate the scripture reading. That's what our, our lesson will be taken from this morning. You can never have too much Bible reading. That's where we need to be in it and not around it and understanding what God's will is for us. Uh, hopefully we all know uh, what this day is. Of course, it's the Lord's Day, but in terms of relationships, it is Mother's Day. And uh, if you did not know that, you're in big trouble because every one of us in here has a mama. Now, I realize that's something that's set aside by man. It doesn't have a religious connection. And there's absolutely nothing wrong to set aside a day. Of course, every day ought to be, I guess, Mother's Day in the work and in the sacrifices that they make. And so as this day is set aside for that, we take the time to honor the one human being who unselfishly gives herself to her children time and time and time again. Now, as I said, all of us have mothers, and I don't know what your situation is. You don't know what mine is. Uh, Maybe our mothers have passed from this life. Maybe our mothers are not Christians. Maybe our mothers are Christians. Maybe our mothers have fallen away. Um, Whatever it is, it does not negate what we can learn about what a godly mother is and to be encouraged by that. And so this morning, that's exactly what we are going to do. I will say this, that if your life has been touched by a godly mother, then you have enjoyed one of the greatest treasures, one of the greatest blessings that you will ever know this side of eternity. There is no doubt that the Bible has a great deal to say about godly mothers and their great influence not only upon their children, but upon their husbands, upon the ladies in the church, and in so many other areas are we affected by godly mothers. We set aside, as I said, this day to honor it. The majority of them deserve it and more. They truly are the VIPs if we had to start placing important people in places. Abraham Lincoln once declared, no man is poor who has had a godly mother. Isn't that a simple, strong statement? No man is poor who has had a godly mother. Here in Exodus chapter 2, we are introduced to a woman by the name of Jochebed. She stands out as one of the greatest mothers that we can ever read about in the scripture. Her selfless love, her sacrifice made possible the exodus of God's people from Egypt that literally changed the course of history. You ever thought about that? I tried to express that a little bit this morning in our Bible class with those that we are reading through in Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to say it again. Do not undersell yourself. Do not underestimate yourself. Look at the great impact this lady had because she chose to serve God. Our Father will always use us for His glory and never, never forget that. We're going to learn the resume of a godly mother this morning. And you say, well, I'm not a mother. Well, that's okay, because what we learn about this godly mother can be incorporated in any of our lives, young or old, male or female, it does not matter. But this is also especially a challenge to the mothers who need to be godly mothers. And for those who are, thank you. You earn our prayers. You're appreciated. Maybe we don't express it enough, but we do not take for granted, hopefully, your selflessness and your sacrifice. 
As we go through these credentials of a godly mother, I want to issue a warning. You know, everything has warnings nowadays. Don't give to a child. You might choke. This might kill you, whatever. Well, what are the requirements for a godly mother? What we're going to learn is it's not as difficult as you think. We're going to be able to easily understand some of those principles this morning. The hard part is applying them and putting them in our lives. So in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 2, her credentials. In verse 2, we're going to see her courage. In verse 3 and then verses 9 and 10, we're going to see her confidence. And then we will sum it up this evening, or this morning is what it is, right? <laughs> By her compensation. In other words, what does she receive in return for being a godly mother? It would do us well to look at the life of this godly mother. And as we do, again, these characteristics remind us that we can all possess them to be what God would have us to be. So with this, in verse 1, we see her credentials. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. Now, it's not just this verse 1, but what we learn about this woman is that Jochebed is an Israelite. She's one of God's chosen people, that small nation that God would use to bring Christ into the world. She was also a member of the tribe of Levi, from which the priests would uh, derive from to serve in the tabernacle and later on in the temple. She and her husband were evidently very dedicated very religious people. Now the focus is on her, but I want to mention him as well. They are willing to defy the order of Pharaoh to keep the commandments of God. Brothers, we're gathered this morning for worship service. I hope that we would have the strength, the wherewithal to say that if it was necessary, we would defy the commandments of men to honor the commandments of God. Perhaps we may be put to the challenge. We already are in circumstances, and and some of us are failing. But what about your life depends on it today, and you choose which one you're going to serve? Every mother needs a relationship with the Lord. May I say every child deserves a saved, sold-out, dedicated mother, period. Now, what does that mean? Well, we're going to learn that here this morning. Nothing makes more of a difference in the lives of children than having good, godly examples in the home. There is a need for godly fathers. There is a need for godly parenting that is seriously lacking today. Brethren, we're losing our young people. What's happening? Did we miss something? Is it just the course of life and it is what it is? I would like to think that there's more to it than that. If not, then why even risk having children? If it's just a shot in the dark, and it may or may not happen. Yes, we do have free will, but there are things that we can do. God give us moms and dads that fear and respect and love the Lord. While we're on the subject, allow me to insert the truth that every person needs the Lord. What are your credentials this morning? If an exam or a report or you were going to get a checkup was to be done, what would the evaluation be? Would it be godly or would it be ungodly? There are always things we can improve, I realize that. But how are we spending each day? More than you need your next breath. More than you need your next heartbeat. Brethren, friends, we all need Jesus and his salvation. It is more important than breath 
or than heart. It is the one credential that you need to miss hell and to get to heaven. Acts 3, excuse me, Acts 4 and verse 12. And so the challenge with our first point is, again, very simple. What are our credentials? She is obviously meeting that which is expected of her from God Almighty. In verse 2, we see her courage. The woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. You mamas in the audience this morning, what would you think to go and to grow a child in your womb for nine months only to give birth and then to dispose or what I mean put aside, put your child in a basket and give it to the the waters in the river and hope the child survives? What kind of faith does that take? We see her courage. God give us parents who are not afraid to take a stand for what is right. Now, why is she doing this? Well, back up with me to chapter 1, and let's begin reading in verse 15. And the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was Shifra, and the name of the other Puah. And he said, When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then shall she live. So what is this? These are people who are helping mothers to give birth. And Pharaoh says, as you're helping these mothers to give birth, if it's a little boy, you are to murder that child. That sounds extreme, doesn't it? This is real. These are human beings. This is what's going on here. And verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt in verse 18 called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. In other words, their answer to Pharaoh was, look, these mamas are having babies before we can get there, is the response. Well, what happens? Look at verse 20. Therefore God dwelt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. Now look at verse 22. Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. You throw these little babies who cannot fend for themselves into the river with the crocodiles and the turtles and the fish, only to drown, and who knows what happens after that. I mean, we know. It's not good. It's not right, and it just makes me cringe. Brethren, what are we going to do if we are faced with that situation? As we look at her courage here and what she's willing to do, we need parents who are willing to say that enough is enough. We're not going to let the world tell us how to raise our children. Brother, if we know anything of what's going on in the world versus what the Bible teaches, we don't want the world telling us how to raise our children. It's very humanistic. It's very secular. Why? Because they are without God. And it's raising people who are selfish. It's raising people who are lazy. It's raising people who uh, want to be enabled at the hands of other people. It's raising a godless society. And it will be our downfall. We need people who will declare the same thing that Joshua declared for his family. In Joshua 24 and 15, as for me and my house, you know the rest, don't you? We will serve the Lord. 
Thank you, you godly mothers who raise children in the nurture and the admonition with Bible training, Bible living, Bible example. I guess since I'm preaching, I can say this, uh, uh, and maybe I probably don't tell her enough, but to see what Wendy has done with our four boys. I don't know if they'll be faithful all their lives. I'll be honest and tell you, that's one of my greatest fears on this earth, that my children remain faithful to God Almighty. And I know by far I am not a perfect parent. And I hope that they can see those weaknesses, those downfalls, and that they can overcome them in their own lives, that they might be better parents than we were. But I have to give her lots of credit for the love, the affection, the sacrifice, the time that she has made. Okay, I'm done getting brownie points, I hope. But uh, uh, that's what we need of godly mothers. I'm not talking about whether a mother should work outside the home or not. That's not even the subject or the point here this morning. I'm talking about mothers who sacrifice themselves for the benefit of their children, spiritually speaking. Whatever it takes. Brethren, it's interesting that in our day, many times young people are more interested in the ways of God than their parents are. It is a blessing when young folks live for God. But let me tell you right now, it is the parents who ought to be setting the example. It's not the church's responsibility to raise the children. It's not the school's responsibility to raise the children. It is mom and dad's responsibility to raise the children. Now, the rest of that can help, no doubt, but the rest of that can hinder as well if we are not careful. Let me share with you two scenarios in regarding courage that we need as parents, courage that godly mothers need. There was a little boy who asked his father, Daddy, what is a Christian? You think about that, mom and dad. If your son or daughter came to you this morning and asked that question, could you answer it? Well, the dad proceeds to go through explaining in great detail what it means to be a Christian or what it's supposed to be. And when he was done, he felt like he had done a pretty good job and really kind of explaining himself. And his little boy looked up to him and he said, Daddy, have I ever met one? That hurts, doesn't it? That hurts bad if you're that daddy. Now, let me share with you a much happier one. There was a preacher who had a young son who had become ill and only had days to live. There was nothing else that could be done. This little boy was going to physically die. And so this preacher, this father, knowing that death would come and that he would be taken into God's hands, wondered, how am I going to tell this young fellow This young fellow that's just getting started in life. This boy that is my son. That he's going to die. So he musters up the courage. And with Bible reading and prayer, he tells him that the doctors could only promise a few more days. Son, are you afraid to meet Jesus? Blinking away with a few tears, the little boy said, No, daddy, not if he's like you. The little boy had seen Christ in his father. Now I realize those are tear jerkers, at least they are to me, maybe not to you, and that's not Bible, but that's real life scenario of what someone might be going through. And so what does that little boy or little girl look and see in you today as a mom, as a dad, as an aunt, as an uncle, as a grandparent, as a friend? Brethren, our children ought to be precious to us and whatever it takes at every cost, raise them up in the ways of God Almighty. And verse 3, 
And then verses 9 and 10, we see her confidence. So in verse 3, when she could no longer hide him, that's where she was keeping him, there in the river. She took for him an ark, I mean, not, she's going to take him to the river now. She took for him an ark of bulrushes, daubed it with slime and with pitch, and put the children therein, and laid it in the flags by the river's brink. Now, having said that or read that, read with me verses 9 and 10 again. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. Now, in case you didn't catch that, this mama takes a baby, puts him in a basket, puts him in the river. I don't know how she could even sleep at night. Can you imagine mamas doing that? And then Pharaoh's daughter finds this baby and decides, has compassion on it, the Bible says, the child, and goes to find, a, sends a maze to find a Hebrew lady to take care of the child. Guess who that Hebrew lady is? Mama. You think God's providence is at work here? I have no doubt whatsoever. So as the verse continues there in verse 10, the child grew and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son and she called his name Moses and she said, because I drew him out of the water. By confidence... Jochebed, by faith is what I'm referring to here, was a woman motivated by strong faith in God Almighty. Matter of fact, her faith is so strong, she is named in the very chapter that we were studying this morning in Bible class. We just haven't got to her yet there. Hebrews uh, chapter 11 and about uh, verse 22, verse 22, 23. And so you see the great strength that she has in verse 2. Go back there with me in Exodus chapter 2, and we learn something. We've got to resist the world. The world was crying out for the death of her son. They don't want him around. But this mother stood strong in the face of this attack, and she placed her son above the world. You think, well, of course, every mama would do that. Not so, brethren. It's not happening like that today. Oh, it's not that the mothers don't love their child. Or is it that they really do not love their children? How could you say that from a pulpit preacher? Right, look at the things that are priorities. Getting in the way of living life that are more important than that child that they have brought into this world. The world demands that parents have a hand over their children, allowing them to be trained in the ways of the world. People of the world do not like it that we take an interest in our children, that they are important to us, that we are teaching them the Bible. Imagine that. Our children need and deserve better than what this world can offer. Brethren, they need the ways of God Almighty, and the world is not going to provide it for them. Well, what do you mean by that? What are we doing with our children? You say, well... Be careful, you might start stepping on toes. Isn't it interesting that we'll take our children on a vacation, but we wouldn't think about taking them to a gospel meeting? We'll take our children to the store so they can pick out their favorite toy, but we won't take them to Bible class? Is what I'm saying crazy? You say, yeah, no, I mean, is that reality? Does that happen? All the time. And then somehow we expect our children to be raised up and love God Almighty, be faithful members, hard workers for God Almighty. When their whole life they've been told everything else is more important than God and his people. What do we expect the outcome to be? 
We need godly fathers. We need godly mothers who have the credentials, who have the courage, who have the confidence to resist the world. Brethren, we got to be careful. We're under attack each and every day. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves following the ways of the world. And not only will it cost us our souls, but it could cost others because of our influence. We need parents who will teach the children the ways of God and steer them clear of the world and its devices. Proverbs 6 and verse 22. It takes faith to go against the grain. It takes faith to go against the norm of society and to raise children for God. But God will bless you for it and your children will be better off as a result. Look at verse 3 again, the second part. In developing these characteristics of a godly mother, you have to release the child. It took faith to place this child in the river. I can't even begin to imagine. I know one time, we laugh at it now, but it wasn't so funny then, that down there in Corpus, uh, we had left services one morning or one evening. We were in separate vehicles, whatever reason, and... I don't know if Wendy thought I had Seth, I believe, and I thought she had Seth, or I just completely forgot. Probably the second one is more eyeball. Anyhow, we left and got home, and she said, where's Seth? I was like, "Uh, he came home with you. Uh, No. We locked him in the church building. Oh, man, you talk about getting there as fast as... Yeah, I don't know if I have all the details. That was a long time ago, but that's the general... We completely left, and I thought, i got to get back and get my son out of the building. The sad part is, I think I did it more than once, but not on purpose, I promise you. I, I promise you. But this idea of releasing the child, I don't mean locking them in the church building. They're not going to get more spiritual by leaving them there when everyone else is gone. But what I am getting at is it took great faith of this lady to place this child in the river. The same instrument that was being used to destroy life, she was using to save life. In Exodus 1 and verse 22, we see there this idea. It took faith for this mother to take her hands off the life of this child and leave him to the will of God. Brethren and friends, it takes great faith to let our children go. But that day is coming. Our youngest is now 17 years old. And I'm thinking, wow. And just like everyone has told me my whole life, you blink and it's gone. And I'm thinking, yes, that's true. You with the little ones right now, please listen to that. You blink and they're grown up now. Some parents live in denial, though, and try to hold on to their children for too long. But the day is coming that sooner or later when the child must be allowed to become an adult. It takes great faith to leave them in the hands of God. But the child who has had a praying mother, a past filled with Bible and training in the way of the Lord has advantage and will do well. You know, it's kind of a joke that I hear now and then, but in reality it's sad. And I guess it's more prevalent than than I realize. But There's a lot of children that are growing up into young adults. And the way, this is the way I hear it spoken to me. I don't know that everyone has a basement, but they say these 20-year-olds, these 30-year-olds, they're living in the basement and they're playing games all night and sleeping all day. Have you ever heard anything like that? Am I speaking something I have not heard? Now, not every child does it. I realize that, but that's a lot of what's going on. And that just presents a perception of brethren of raising people up to be industrious 
of raising people up to be faithful to God, to be assets in the community. And when parents do not take the responsibility to raise their children in that manner, there's not going to be anyone left to work in a generation or two. There's not going to be anyone left to teach someone else, the the children, the ways of God. You see the devastating effects that it has. And what happens from there? When it grows as a nation, the nation then will fall. God give us godly fathers and godly mothers. When I talk about giving them up to adults, I don't mean stop praying for them. I do not mean stop being involved in their lives. What I mean is giving them the opportunity to grow. There are too many parents who cannot wait also for the day when their parents will grow, I mean, when their children will grow up and they don't have to put up with their children anymore. So now I'm going to the opposite way. The ones that cling and never want to let them go to the ones of I can't wait till they get out of the house. A lot of times those are parents with improper parenting or disciplining and they've gone, grown exhausted. They've grown stressed. Who would ever want to get rid of their child? Uh, I'm sure Wendy and I, I, I know Wendy would, and I wouldn't mind if we, we could somehow manage. I'd like to make a little compound where all the boys get married. And, you know, the wives have to come live on the compound with us. They can't go live with her family. They've got to come to us, and that means the grandkids are there. I mean, yeah, you have this unrealistic dream. I realize that, or at least I do sometimes. But that's not the way it happens. And my point being is, If we are in a position right now while our children are young that we cannot wait for the day when we don't have to put up with them anymore, we need to review our parenting tactics. We need to review how we are instructing and rearing our children and growing them up. Let's move on. Verses 9 and 10 as we've looked at, raise the child. So we've seen resist, we've seen release, now raise the child. After Moses has been found by Pharaoh's daughter... Miriam and Jochebed were able to work things out where Jochebed became the nurse for her own son. It took great faith for her to raise a child under those conditions. Now you think about that, mamas. You have to raise your son under the pretense of being in the hands of someone else who is looking or acting or fulfilling that mother role. Challenging situation, no doubt. But we notice the, or we know the outcome of Moses Was Moses perfect? Did he make some mistakes as an adult? Sure he did. He became a a great leader for God in leading the people. However, Jochebed at this point is given the opportunity to teach Moses about Jehovah, about true worship, and about right living. Now you think about us today. Yes, our hands may be tied here and there, but for the most part, brethren, we really have free reign, at least at this point. We face a little bit of challenges to raise our children how we see fit. I'm talking about uh, in the ways of, of the Bible. When did this mother find time as a nurse to teach Moses about the ways of God Almighty? Because if you recall, Moses was also educated in other ways as well. He could have easily chosen. Matter of fact, what did we see in the Bible about Moses? That he went away from sin. He realized it was only temporary. It was only satisfying in the moment and not everlasting. Where did Moses learn that? Did he have it in a dream? Did he read some novel somewhere? Was it a movie that he watched? No, it was a game that came out, right? No, it was a godly mother 
who taught Moses the ways of God Almighty. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying a movie or a game are wrong in of themselves. They can be, depending on what they are. But what I'm saying is, where is our focus? What are we doing with our children? She had the opportunity to do her best by her son. Can we say that this morning regarding our children? We are required to do the same thing, and all we can do is our best by our children. May I say that they need love. They need acceptance. Brethren, they need Bible teaching. They need Bible preaching. They need church. You know what that means? They need you. They need godly examples to imitate. They need a relationship with Christ. One, uh, 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 another great fear I've had is my children obeying the gospel because of mama and daddy rather than them understanding the Bible for themselves. And every godly parent I know has gone through those mental exercises. I want my child to obey because they understand that they are a sinner, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3 and verse 23. And the only way that we're going to get rid of that sin is by coming into contact with the blood of Jesus. Is that what our Bibles teach us or am I speaking false doctrine? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You want to talk about parental sacrifice. Gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Our children need to believe. They need to believe because that is the beginning process to getting rid of the sin in their lives. Jesus has told us that unless we repent, we are going to perish. Luke 13 verses 3 and 5. Paul tells us in Romans 10 and verse 10 that we need to confess Christ. And of course, the squeaky wheel, right? You know what's coming next. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Acts 2 and verse 38. If you need it more simple than that, then look at Mark 16 and verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's as easy as it gets in understanding what God would have us to do. But you know what? Those are the steps to get us into a right relationship with God. Brethren, our, our, our children need to hear that time and time again. Maybe someone that's an adult needs to hear that this morning. It gets us into a right relationship. And I say this, now the work begins. Because see, you've been on the devil's side the whole time. And you say, you know what? Enough, devil. I'm going to obey God. And so you hear, you believe, you repent, you confess, you're baptized, you're continuing to soak up and learn God's word as the Bible teaches. Guess what? You're no longer in the devil's army. So you know what he's going to do? Launch the fiery darts. He's coming at you full force to bring you back into his army. If you give your children to God and then give them all the God that you can, not what you're satisfied with, but all the Bible that you can, then mama, daddy, you have done your best. Why do I say that? Because we are not robots. We are not pre-programmed. And people have free will. And people can leave God. And I know there are parents in this audience this morning who have children that are not faithful. And you lose sleep over it. And you pray for them day and night. And it hurts. Do not give up on them. Continue to be that godly example, that godly influencer. Be a part of their lives. Be engaged in their lives wherein you're capable. And just tell them, I'm not giving up on you. They know the truth. 
If you've taught it, they know the truth. And pray to God that they will return to their Lord. And it can be done by, again, living a godly life. Children have a foundation from which they can grow and mature into healthy saints of God when they have godly mothers in their lives. I got this a long time ago, and I do not know where I got it from, but I want to read this to you now. And the title of this little thing is, How to Be a Stupid Parent. Now, you young people, if you're not allowed to say that word, I hope I didn't say a bad word to you, but what it's talking about is how to be a bad parent, how to be someone God would not have you to be. Number one, discipline your children only when you lose your temper. Let them get away with anything until you're fed up, and then a spirit of hostility and anger, let them have it. Blow your top, holler, get wild, clobber them, and really make a brawl out of it. The children will get a bang out of you. Number two, do not make yourself approachable. You might have to listen and reason with your child. If you get too chummy, they'll want to talk things over with you. And who's got time to waste with kids? You've got more important things to do. Number three, if, you've, if they have done wrong, never let them forget it. Keep rubbing it in, they'll loathe you for it. Number four, give your child all the spending money that he wants or that you can afford or can't even afford. Don't make them earn it. Money in large quantities is an acceptable substitute for love. After a while, he'll only want your money and could care less about you and your love. Number five, compare your child with someone else to make him smarten up. Use that beautiful expression, why can't you be like Johnny? Why can't you be like Susie? He'll despise you, Johnny, and Susie. Mother and father should disagree in regard to the rules for their youngsters. Children will then learn to play one parent against the other. Number seven, never let the kids think for themselves. They don't have the equipment. The reason may be in their hereditary uh, situation or environment. Make all the decisions for them so they'll never be able to handle life. Number eight, Treat them with suspicion. Never trust the sneaky little characters. If they turn out well, it won't be your fault. It'll be one of the greatest miracles ever performed. We're not perfect as parents, brothers. So what do we do in those situations? We let our children know that. That we're not perfect. But we're doing the best that we can. And we press on. Verses 9 and 10, we see her charity in Exodus chapter 2. The idea of charity is the idea of what we know today as love. This refers in the wonderful way that she gave her life on behalf of her son. So back there in verses 2 and 3, we see the situation that she has a child. She has at one point has to make a basket, prepare it, and puts it in the river so that he might live. Then in verses 9 and 10, as we read about Pharaoh's daughter coming down to the water and the maid sending forth for a Hebrew lady to come and take care. This lady pours out her life into that of her son. Isn't that what every good mother does for their children? It's important that children give honor to their mother. So now you notice I've been talking about mama, some about daddy. We as children, you know, every one of us in this room are a child. And if your mama is still alive, and especially if she is a godly mother, she deserves the utmost respect 
and honor that you can muster with every ounce of strength in your body and mind. Oh, I know there's times of disagreements or this or that, but she deserves that honor. Matter of fact, not only is it a commandment under the old law, it's required under the new law to honor our parents. In a very real spiritual sense, this is what the heavenly father has done for us, giving of his own son. God, think about it this way. God gave heaven's best for earth's worst. He did that. Why? Because he loves us. In verse 10, she gave her son. Very literally, Jochebed was raising her son so she could give him to God Almighty. She's not the only mother that we read of in the Bible doing something like this. She gave up her son to save a nation, even though she didn't realize at the time everything that was going on. Brethren, we don't have the ability to see everything that is in front of us down the road. But when we learn with obedient and great faith to have that conviction, to have that confidence, and to embrace what God has spoken to us, we can press on. God gave his son for us, and when he did, God knew exactly what he was doing. In fact, when Jesus came and died for our sins at Calvary, the greatest expression of love the world would ever see. Romans 5 and verse 8, God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, that means against him, Christ died for us. That don't get you a little squirmy this morning. That don't get you thinking a little bit, maybe kind of a chill. I'm not talking about emotionalism here, but you think of the price that was paid on our behalf. Jochebed gave her son for Israel. God gave his son for the world. He died for you. He died for me. He died for every human being. As a result, and we wrap up this morning, what happens? We see her compensation. Her son becomes a great man of God. He is the one whom God chose to do what? Deliver God's people and the one who was destined to be known as the great lawgiver of Israel. I would imagine Jochebed never realized the full potential of her little baby son because she was just trying to physically keep alive at one point in her life. In her own way, Jochebed rises as high as any mother in the Bible, as any godly mother. I'm sure her reward in heaven will be great. A mother's love and sacrifice were vindicated in the way that God used her son. Parents, you never know who you're raising. Maybe it's a Hannah. Maybe it's a Mary. Maybe it's a Joseph. Maybe it's a Gideon, a Paul. Put whoever you want in there that you look up to in the Bible. Because of that, parents, you give your children the best that you have while you have them, turning them into God-fearing, God-following young men and women who will live for the glory of the Lord all the days of their lives. And they will pass that on to their children, and their children will pass it on to their children. So that there will be more souls in heaven. You know, as you study through the Old Testament, the Israelites, you find themselves being given into uh, idolatry time and time again. And God punishes them, right? They go into captivity for a number of years. And you think about that, 70 years in captivity, how many generations come out of that? If you put it at 20 years, 20 into 70, I'm not much into math, but at least three generations, three and a half. 
What happens when one generation gets just a little bit removed from the Bible? Oh, they still believe in God. They still say they still love God, but they are drifting. And that next generation learns that. And because they see it in mama and daddy, they begin that same process. So that by the time you had the third generation, they say that they still love God, but they are far from him. And they think the things that they are doing are pleasing to God, or they've defined it on their own terms. What's going to happen to those people? They're going to be lost. And so I would challenge each of us here this morning to examine the scriptures. Are we the third generation in captivity? Are we the faithful remnant, loyal to God at whatever the cost, so that one day we can be with him in heaven? Often a parent thinks that they have been successful when their child finishes college or when they make lots of money or they're in some prestigious position. However, true success, brethren, cannot be gauged by worldly standards. And that's exactly what we're doing when we start measuring them in that fashion. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to school. There's nothing wrong with telling someone else that your child is going to school. But when it gets down to the stuff that is real and serious and important, when we see our children living for and in love with God, then we've been successful. Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to see your son and your daughters in heaven? I do. We all do. And so what are we measuring success? By worldly standards or by God's standards? I would rather raise a child who would have none of this world's goods, who picked up dead animals on the highway for a living, than to see one who goes and gets a college degree and becomes a multi-millionaire, dies, and goes to a devil's hell. How are we gauging the success of our children? Jochebed stands, even after all these years, as a true portrait of a godly mother. Mothers, how do you stand up against her this morning? If we all hold to these things, courage, confidence, and charity, regardless of our role as husband, wife, mother, father, brother, sister, brother, sister in Christ, we will have the credentials and being better off for the glory of God. Today would be a great day to become a child of God and start being that example and that influence that God wants you to be so that he can use you for his glory and his honor. Today would be a great day if you find yourself as a child of God falling short to once again reunite with him, rekindle that relationship, become stronger, and together, brethren, we can do this. Together, moms and dads, we can raise our children to love and respect God Almighty. Today we can be a God-fearing people whom God is pleased in. If you're lacking in any of that and we can help you in any way, please come while we stand and while we sing.